McNulty's done incredibly well to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bobby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good change by Doyle. For McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bobby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Ponting. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They've won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bobby fans, and welcome to PO Forecast episode 97. Well, it wasn't the results we were looking for, but is there still hope for the Blues? Joining me in the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? I'm doing very well, Hugh. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. The The results weren't perfect, were they? And we're going to go through every <laughs> every detail, probably. To start off, we're going to review the game against Hull. Following on from that, we're going to review the not quite as tragic, lost to Lincoln. Then we're going to discuss what that means to Pompey and the promotion push. Then we've got some really good guests on the show because, as we said, when Pompey get a new signing, we want to give you guys the lowdown of what to expect and what kind of players they are. So we've got Ollie from the Salop cast who's going to talk to us about Charlie Daniels and his time there. But, you know, that was six months' time, so we thought, you know what, let's dial that back and let's get someone else in as well. So from the Bournemouth side, we've got Sam Davis from the back of the net, AFC Bournemouth podcast, uh, and he's going to give us the lowdown really on the history there and what he'll bring to the dressing room. And lastly, we're going to preview the game against Charlton. Right, that took me a lot longer than I thought to say that already. <laughs> let's get into it. Hull, it was not a great display, was it? But let's start in the first half because it was only 1-0 and... Could we say that if the tactical changes hadn't have happened by Kenny Jacket at half time, there's a potential that Pompey could have come out with a different result? Potentially. I understand why he made them, but I definitely don't think they worked at all because Portsmouth had pretty similar problem that they did in the last whole game where they simply didn't look like they created any clear cut chances. And a lot of that was from the midfield. Hull dominated the midfield. George Honeyman being back in the side completely changed them. Because before that, they were devoid of any creativity and what uh, uh, whatsoever. And in Honeyman being there, it ticked defensively and offensive at both uh, both sides of the midfield and Portsmouth couldn't handle it. I think the idea of bringing on Close and White in a three-man midfield was to essentially, uh, to essentially put in a bit of creativity, but it didn't work. They were just outnumbered in the midfield and Marquis was basically sat on a desert island up front on his own before, before he got substituted. I think the only change I would have made is probably bring off either Harness or Williams and put Harrison on up front with the two, Marcus and Harrison, even though we've seen it, that combination be a bit iffy at times, but it just would have helped with the physicality. And that was one of the other problems in that game. But a lot of the Portsmouth players got bullied. Marcus got bullied by Hull's two centre-halves and, McG- and McGuinness made Rackett's life a living hell after that game. So it wasn't ideal. <laughs> No, and we talked about George Honeyman, didn't we, with the guys on the podcast before, on the whole podcast, um, and just exactly what he's going to bring to it. And this is why we were worried, Freddie. This is why we were concerned. Andy called us pessimistic, yeah? But guess what, Andy? That's not what it was. Well, I wish Andy was right. <laughs> I wish he was Mate, right, obviously. Oh, oh, come on. We say pessimistic. I did I did predict a 2-1 win, so obviously it was way off this time on like before, but... And they were um, knew it was definitely a long way off then, wasn't it? <laughs> It was close, mate. Better luck next time. We've got, we'll come on to the predictions later and see if we do any better than uh, than the last one. But obviously, Jack Watmore got the headlines with the two own goals. It's pretty impressive to score an own goal in a game, but to score two, um, that one goes down as one of the stats people can talk about. Obviously, Hull did concede two own goals as well in the game before. Oh, the it irony. Does- I know they've dusted themselves off and pushed on. So please don't think this is something to to hang up, hang ourselves over. And if you look at the first goal with Jack Watmore, there's not really not really much you could have done about it. Is there, Freddie? No, not at all. It was just one of those classic own goals that we've seen all the time. Where if the defender doesn't make that move, it would have been automatic anyway. 
yeah exactly and the second one as well it comes across the box and uh, I know Lewis Potter was was sort of like literally there wasn't he ready to tap it in he as soon as Jack Watmore gets his foot and he has to put a challenge in he slides in the ball goes into the back of the net Lewis Potter looks really fucked off because the, he thinks that's an easy tap in for him if Jack <laughs> Watmore doesn't get his foot on it so when, I, when I'm the manager here and I'm looking at that performance, I'm thinking, yeah, you scored two own goals, but let's be honest, that anyone else would have done the same if they're playing the position properly. No, precisely. And the whole back four was bad at that game. I don't think many of the players had a good game at all in that, in, in that match. It was one of those things. Raggett's positioning was pretty poor. He gave, the, he gave the ball away to George Honeyman for his goal. The fullbacks... They looked like they didn't know where they wanted to be, whether they wanted to stand back as the flat back four or whether they wanted to go up and support midfield that was just being overrun completely. So just not a, not a good day at the office and in any sides in any season is going to have those games. I don't want to linger on this game too much, Freddie, so we'll move on in a second. But I just looked at my notes and it says positives and it's got, it's got some links underneath the bottom of it. Oh. I've got one point. Harvey White came on and we talked about the, you know, the move of close and did that work or not. But the free kicks, he, he put the, the ball down, the dead ball. And Lennon, who came on the podcast before to talk to us about him from the Spurs side, told us he had a really good free kick. That free kick was what you want from that position, isn't it? It went up and down. It just just didn't come under the bar. But the technique was obviously there. Paul, we definitely need a set piece taker. I don't think we've had a proper set piece taker since Gary Roberts left, <laughs> personally. So any any player who can add a bit of that to the side would be much better. I don't want Ronan Curtis taking free kicks anymore. No, neither do I. I think, I think someone else needs to step in and we'll talk about Charlie Daniels later on and whether he can fill the void as well. But you've got Harvey White in there as well if he's playing. And those two definitely, for me, look like the better options in the dead ball position already. So I know Jacob's had a go again in the next game, which we'll just talk about in a second. So he's ticked off. He's had a go. Get to the back of the line. Let's have the new lads and see if they can score some generates and chances. But all right, let's move on. We went to the Lincoln game. I was quite excited before the game, if I'm honest. You know, I thought Boston would be fine in that game. I thought we'd be okay in this game as well. I thought scrub ourselves down after that 4 now. You know, come out against Lincoln. I expect the boys to come out give 110%, not sit back. The first few minutes of the game, or the first 10, 15 minutes, whatever it was for, Jack went off as well. Pompey played a game that was a bit end-to-end, took a bit of a while to get into, but Lincoln passed the ball quickly. But it was a game that had chances at both ends, Freddie. How did you feel about Portsmouth's start prior to Jack Watmore sending off? I thought it looked okay. They were getting into the game fairly well. They they set up a bit differently than they did against Hull. Um, I thought they wanted to keep the ball a little bit more and actually be a bit more creative rather than just simply hunker hunker down on the counter-attack like they did in the last game, which is exactly what they need to do. All of Pompey's good positive results, which you've, which you've watched, and there's been a lot of them this season, even with all the angst that you're hearing, a lot of their positive results is, where, is when they take the game to teams, when they press high and they use the thing that, in my opinion, is the best bit about this side, their work rate. Even even when they lost most of the games, I don't think you can say they didn't work hard in any of them. They're they're full on one hundred percent in your face every time. And if and if they play like that, and they've got and they've got the front four to be able to do it, then Ports can create can create chances and score goals. It's just when the side is told not to do that that it looks terrible a lot of the time. So I thought before the sending off, fine. Uh, and obviously the sen- the sending off killed the game really. Yeah, it did. Let's talk about that tackle. There's a lot of discussion on social media about whether it's a red car, whether it's not, etc. Will it be overturned? Kenny Jacket has put on put in for the decision to be appealed. We're still to find out whether it will or not. For me, and I'll put this out there now, Freddie, my opinion on it on the topic. I don't think it's a red card. I think he goes in and he gets the ball. I think he's got one leg that's not he's not got straight legs when he goes in. He's literally kept a leg back. This is a snowflake challenge, isn't it? And I know people are literally slowing things down and showing when Jack slight left his feet at one point in the game and that kind of thing. This just literally reminds me of a flashback. James Bolton versus Arsenal and all their little wet lobby fans coming out going, oh, look at him, he's dived in. It's definitely a red card. It's not a red card when you watch it in normal time. When you super slow something down and take a screenshot when someone first makes a movement forward and both their feet leave the ground, then it looks worse than it is. I'm going to put it out there and basically say that was one of the worst red cards I've ever seen in my life. I'm sorry. Um, 
if you're going to give a red card for that, you might as well not have tackling in the game at all. He wins the ball. It's not a scissor challenge that uh, that causes injuries. His studs aren't up. All of those things are true. Yeah, it, it, you could, the, the the screenshots of of two feet being off the floor. Come on. If uh, you watch anybody try to do a side tackle without that being the case to a certain extent, if you if you're gonna book if you're gonna send them off for excessive force when if that's the, if that's the rule for red card if it, if if it's both feet off the floor every single time then nobody can side tackle anymore. You may oh, as well exactly. outlaw that now. Um, it was a rubbish decision, a horrendous decision, it, uh, on par with that handball that was missed during the game as well. That, that looks. Even, I saw a video clip of that. I can't remember if it was in the first or the second half, but that was another missed call. Yeah, they've forgotten. And yeah, and it, it killed shooting. the game because Kenny Jacket looked at it and went, "Well, we can't lose this game. We're just gonna put. We're gonna have two banks of four and try and hit them on break, which in that case was probably a good idea <laughs> because what else could they have done? They couldn't have. Pre- they can't press." The way that they can with ten men, it, it wouldn't work. Lincoln, Lincoln are a very good passing side with with Michael Appleton who, who instills that in them, and they would just pass ports off the park and we'd lose about three 0 So trying to hit them on the break was a good idea after the sending off, but it was always going to be tough to get a point from that game after that. Yeah, it was always going to be tough massively. I think Pompey were actually a little bit unlucky. Obviously, the handball. It's not just one of those ones where he's just touched his arm or he's left it trained. He actually sort of moved his he, he hand left, to the he ball. Left, he left the floor with yeah. his hand above his head. Yeah. Which is not natural. I've played football at probably the lowest level you could possibly play at. <laughs> but even, he, 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 what level? Uh, vi, like <laughs> no, I said football, my level. Like 15. All right, you're there. <laughs> yeah, the lowest <laughs> level possible. <laughs> but yeah, even if you jump up for a header, your, your hands are never above your head. Ever. No. No, it's a shocking, it's a shocking decision. Again, I saw John Marcus, Liam Howe said on Twitter that John Marcus walked off uh, the pitch and asked, said to the fourth official, oh, so you're allowed to catch the ball now, are you? Um, <laughs> something along those lines anyway. George, George Briers, that tweet yeah. after the game was quite funny. Play, play, playing against 12 men, it's a bit hard, isn't it? Well, yes. again, you're going to have these sorts of games. We've had two of them now. We've mentioned it already. We had the game where Portsmouth just laid an egg. There's no other way around it. Where, where nobody had a good game, the defensive setup was wrong, the substitutions were dreadful, fine. And then you had a game that was basically killed off after half an hour because of a red card that wasn't, and then that's it. No one goes fast to say to have VAR in League One. I hate that system, but still, it's frustrating when it happens. But the problem is that the margin for error is so small that Portsmouth Cove have those games. Portsmouth will drop down to fifth after that game. I'll just double-check their points because I can't remember off the top of my head. But that's the margin of error we have. If we have just an outright rubbish performance and an unlucky game, lose two games in a row, obviously it was to the top two as well, then Portsmouth are in the playoffs and we know what happens with that or we think we know what happens with that. It's incredibly frustrating and I said it was gut-wrenching after the game and I think that's the best description for it. Yeah, no, so do I. It was quite difficult to assess the new players, Freddie, who came into the squad against Lincoln and watched them because it was in a situation where we were, you know, 10 men on the pitch and you're not playing the same way you usually would play. Yeah, and the sample size is too small. Uh, By the way, on the table, as as we're talking, Ports are fifth with 41 points with 17 goal difference, four points behind the whole city who are second. Lincoln are top now of a game in hand with 48 points. So we know. So we know. So that's the margin, literally, from from going six games in a row without conceding a goal to two defeats, and that's where Portsmouth are. What is there to talk about in this game, mate? To be honest, I'm gonna I'll put that out there to you now. <laughs> that there's not much positive apart from the fact that the lads worked their socks off, mate, in that game. I thought Craig McGivery was excellent, made a lot of good saves, and I think it was eight. That saves save where he game. tipped it. I can't remember who shot it, but he tipped it onto the bar. Yeah, uh, without without him, that was going in the top corner completely. Yeah, and, and I thought it's... I thought it was incredible, mate. Compared to the, if you look at the whole game, we just said how bad the defending was in that whole game. Change it round, ten men against a very good Lincoln side. I thought the back four was solid. I thought that Craig McGivery played very well. I think we were literally that was a turnaround performance that I wanted in the sense of the effort level and and the commitment to the system they put in. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, uh, again. It, Without it, it would have been a completely different game if it wasn't for the um, for the red card. I think I think we were pretty even with Lincoln, even in the first half an hour, even though they had 
more of the ball and some better chances. But yeah, very frustrating, but it's a results-based business and it never goes your way, does it? Well, it does to some people, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into this next one. We asked people, how many points do you think Pompey will earn for the next eight matches? We had ran a poll. 265 of you voted, so cheers for that. The options were nine or less points, of which 14% of you believe in the next eight matches we will get less than nine points. That's very wow. harsh. Wow. <laughs> confidence in that. <laughs> 22% of people think we'll get 10 to 14 points. 46%, so nearly half, are saying 15 to 19 points, Freddie. And there's an optimistic 18% that are hoping for 20 to 24 points. Now, I'm looking at the games we're playing. Charlton, Plymouth. And I'm thinking... They're the two tough ones that we've got coming up after that. And then we've got games like Swindon, Crews a bit difficult, you know, Bristol, Blackpool, Oxford, Gillingham. There's no easy games in this league, is there? But that is notably no, but, than what we've had before. Hmm. Precisely. I don't think I think it's I think it's somewhere in the middle. It's not it's not any game where I look at and go, Oh god, that's very difficult for Portsmouth, so I won't worry about it. But there's no but there's no gimme games. There's no Burton, there's no Northampton, there's no FC Wimbledon in there. They the tactics have to be right, and Portsmouth have to be on it, and all the players have to be playing at their best to get a reasonable points all out of that. And they have to because this is a competitive league. It's not like last season where Kenny Jacket was basically lying about how good the league was. This season, it's a competitive league. There are about ten, nine or ten teams that can make the playoffs, which is which is a lot in comparison to what it has been. Yeah, you look at Ipswich, 22 games played, five points off the playoff. So, game behind us. Fair, they look dreadful, actually. I know. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, they, look, they look shocking, maybe. Even look at Oxford, who were rubbish at the start of the season. They're now 34 points, 22 games played. So, if they win their game in hand, suddenly they're on 37 points. Is four points behind us. Precisely. Mm, so that is, they're in 11th place now. So mm. looking up and down, it's all really tight in this league. So Pompey will need to go on a run to be able to, to achieve promotion this season. Absolutely, yeah. And, it, and it, 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 it puts a dent into, you can look at it in so many different ways. You can be completely cynical and say, oh, if we if we make one slip up, that's it, Portsmouth for in the playoffs, so we know what, ha- we know what happens then they're done. Or you can look at it and go, oh, how is this team not automatic promotion? They've got six clean sheets in a row. They're, they're beating all these teams. I'm thinking, well, other teams are winning as well. <laughs> Again, we said that the margin for error is the smallest it's ever been. And in, in what is a boom or bust year for Portsmouth in the long term, it's 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 going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But Yeah. Martin Daniels best Yeah, let's go. Sorry, Martin Daniels messages in. He says, a favourable-looking February should make things look a lot more clearer. At last night's show, there are a lot of teams that are in the mix and still slipping up. Two defeats in eight after a rather difficult period isn't bad. Just time to go on another run, which we all know we can do. It's not time to panic, is it, Freddie? Maybe as Martin's saying, OK, it's tight around the league, but if we, if we turned around and said two losses in eight, we wouldn't have been devastated at the start of this run. No, not at all. It's mainly the timing and the league position, which sometimes could be a red herring, but sometimes it means a lot. And yeah, we Portsmouth just, just turned turned around two losses against the top two. Yeah, which which is never ideal. But then you can look at it from a broader perspective and saying, oh, getting three points out of six against promotion rivals isn't that bad, which it isn't. It's just it, it's just the timing of it and the manner of the defeats, which is the main thing. I, I, I'm still not writing Portsmouth off for automatics, given the way that Portsmouth have played recently and the tactical setup and the and the hard work of the players. You've got players like John Marcus who are on 15 total goals and assists combined. He's already surpassed his total from last season already. Um, it, it, you can t- you can see that in many of the players they have improved. Some of them haven't, but most of them have. And you look at the depth. It, I think the best way to think of it is look is right down the ports of starting eleven, the normal one we seen for the past two games, and then think about is there another player in this league who I'd rather have in that position? I think I would replace well, three players, four players. If that, that's not even that's not even half the team that you'd replace. As a side, ports are very balanced and very good most of the time. 
but but it's just whether they can string those results together and whether they are whether they can play or are allowed to play the uh, the type of football that suits them. Roy Clark messages in. He says we need to bounce back and have no no losses in the next eight, preferably eight wins if we want promotion. I put that out oh, to Roy and yeah. said, "Do you think that's <laughs> going to happen, Roy?" Roy said, "Yes, I think we can win those eight matches." So nice to see some positivity from Roy there. Um, yeah, why not? Why not, Roy? And he turns the message in. He says we approached the last two games differently than we did against the top sides before Christmas. With one of the better squads in League One, I don't think we should change the way we play to the opponent. I expect mid-table playoff pushing teams to do that. Knowing Pompey, I'd say eighteen to twenty-four points. Do you think we change? Well, he hit the nail on the head there in terms of not not changing your system around too much and panicking. That's what Porto shouldn't do. There have been so many games this season, even against good opposition, where Ports have played that high-pressing 4-4-2 that was aggressive and attacking to an extent that didn't give up Ports' defensive stability entirely. And if Jacket gives that up and goes for a five-man midfield, I think Ports won't get promotion at all. Is, the thing is, though, I mean, I agree that but oh yeah, we're not playing a four-four-two in that game, were we? Let's, let's be honest. You know, Williams. No, no, no. It, it, the, the formation is weird simply because it's more fluid than last season's four-two-three-one. But sometimes it looks like a four-two-three-one, and sometimes it's a four-four-two. It entirely depends where the players are in the play. Which or a is four-four-one-one, really, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. It looked like that, didn't it? It did look which... like that in this game. This game looks very flat. Like Williams are sort of playing behind Marquez in a sort of one behind the other the other striker. But um talking about tactics, Jacket's jacket message and he says seems to be slipping into the old ways in which we play. Back to hopeful long balls and no longer looking for runners or high tempo breakaways. Williams and Harness switch does not change the way we play. New guys should freshen up ideas, many going through the motions. Bad games doesn't mean dropped. Uh, out of all of that, I don't, I don't think the players are going through the motions in terms of not working hard. Bit of bit of lack of creativity sometimes, maybe. And I do agree with him that Kenny Jacket probably went into those games thinking, "Please don't lose." <laughs> looking at it, looking at them, going, "If we just don't lose, instead of win the game, instead of taking control, of taking control of those games, which they also, which they have to do." And I. I know some people are split on whether Ports are for a good attacking side or not. Brian Stilwell mentioned the comment of Ports not being able to play through teams with a settled back four and a midfield, which to a certain extent is true, but they can still create chances and score goals. The data says so. You know, in, in a way that isn't like the previous two seasons as well. So it's very strange. I, I've looked at the data and it will be in an article on pompeynewsnow.com tomorrow probably around the time you listen to this if Portsmouth rely on their defensive stability quote unquote they will not get automatic promotion it's not going to happen especially especially with that back four think about it this way compare that back four to the back four of two years ago the 2018-2019 season compare both of them how they played and the personnel and then think God, one of the best back fours in the division two years ago didn't get promoted by playing defensive football how do you expect this side to do it with less talent. Ports are up there in terms of their ability to create high quality chances and score goals. They're not, they're not even with the six clean sheets, they're not a def- good defensive side as much as everybody says they are, mainly due to individual errors and, well, I said it there, individual errors mainly. So they have to, they have to focus on that. They, they have to rely on what they're good at, which is getting in teams' faces, being aggressive, pressing high, Winning the ball and forcing mistakes, and then creating chances where it's harder not to sc- where it's harder not to score, and then go from there. Like, like like the last game against Lincoln, if you remember that, the front four pushed so high up into into Lincoln's defensive half while they were playing out from the back, it just didn't work. We have to press. If we press on the front, Freddie, and I do feel like a bit of a broken record because we have been going on about this now. For yeah, and, and it's years. a trope now, isn't it? That that the, oh god, he's saying that every side has to press to be able to actually get any results. And I wouldn't have said that two years ago with that Portsmouth side, but I am saying it now, and especially with the five substitutes and the, and the depth that this side actually has now. You're looking at Jordy Hewley and Ellis Harrison. You're thinking they they could do a job if you bring them on. 
you've now got depth in midfield. You've got Briars who, who can either play a bit deeper or behind the striker. And you've got Harvey White with his technical ability. There's depth now in that centre midfield. And there should be stamina as well because sometimes when you've only got three substitutes, it's difficult because players can run out of steam if you press them too hard early on. There's not really an excuse now. We've got we've got good depth in midfield, good central players, good players who can subs. come on as well. That's what I'm saying. Five yeah. substitutes, so you can rotate them. They can go flat out until 70 minutes and then have someone come on 60, 70 minutes and do the same thing. And again, like we said earlier, all of those players work hard. I don't think there's anyone on that side who you think is a prima donna who doesn't work hard but has all the technical ability in the world. All of the all of the strikers work hard. John Marcus is... is more than just a poacher, I think this season's completely dispelled that myth completely. It's it's frustrating. I think Jacket looked at those games and went, if we get two points out of them, it's good. Which on paper it kind of is. But when you so when when your best centre half scores two on goals and you get a red card in the first half an hour, that's not happening. No. They have to they have to rely on what they're good at. And the article that I wrote goes into that a little bit more. Yeah, so go and check out Freddie's article. I'm guessing by the time you're listening to this, it will be live on pompeynewsnow.com and we'll be on all our Twitter feeds. Right, um, okay. So I think that's fairly summed up. George messaged in, he says, at Pivot Forecast, I don't want to hear anything but criticism from this Pompey team on the podcast. They've played disgracefully and they need to be told that, specifically Jack Watmore. Well, George, I'm I sorry, think we've been fair in our criticism. I think it's been balanced, but um, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, move on. Um, okay. So first guest we've got on the podcast is Sam Davis from the Back of the Net AFC Wim- AFC Bournemouth podcast. To used to saying Wimbledon, that is a sign of being in the wrong division. <laughs> um <laughs> All right, Sam, Sam, I reached out to Sam. He's a great guy and um, with great knowledge on Charlie Daniels. He's been there forever. He's like a permanent fixture. So here's our interview with Sam Davis from the Back of the Net AFC Bournemouth podcast. Hi, I'm here with Sam Davis from the Back of the Net AFC Bournemouth podcast. And Sam, thanks for coming on the show. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Just uh, pleased to be talking to you after a Bournemouth win, albeit in the FA Cup, but a win's a win. We need the momentum. No, awesome. Let's get cracking. Um, Charlie Daniels is a player that went on Bournemouth's journey from League One to the Premier League. Uh, Pompey are hoping for promotion this season, but what sort of intangibles does Daniels bring to the squad with his experience? Oh, what can I say about Charlie Daniels? He's the ultimate pro. He rose up through the leagues for Bournemouth, as you say, and every season Bournemouth fans were questioning whether he was going to be able to cut it, but he did it in the Championship. You know, can he cut it in the Premier League? Oh, he's gone and done it again, and... He scored a number of goals in the top flight as well. The most notable one was that half volley against Manchester City with his wand of a left foot. What a left foot it is as well. You'll benefit from his delivery. Wow. Great crosser of the ball. Works really hard. As a full-back or a wing-back, you've got a player that will bomb up the pitch. Forms great combinations with uh, his teammates. And one of the biggest compliments I could pay to him is that if you were to ask any Cherries fan which player you would have on that side in your all-time favourite 11. Undoubtedly, Charlie Daniels would be in there. He's a, he's going to be a great asset. And I've seen the way Pompey play, and I honestly think he'll be a massive boost for you. Uh, looking at Daniels' expected assists, uh, he's way ahead of Pompey current left-back, Lee Brown. But looking a bit deeper, though, all of Daniels' assists have come from set pieces. How would you describe his set piece taking? And do you think it can be a threat in League One? Oh, it's undoubtedly going to be a threat. I mean, what you find is when you go down the leagues, you see more teams relying on set pieces. In the Premier League, it's not so much of a speciality. You saw teams in the FA Cup looping long throw-ins into the box. I think it was Cheltenham when they played Man City and they had joy off that and whipping free kicks in. And when you've got a player that is capable of delivering like Charlie Daniels can, then it's an absolute threat because they're fast pinpoint accuracy, you'll find that because they're whipped in rather than these loopy crosses, the strikers or whoever's in the box don't have to generate their own power, just a little flick and a little glance and they'll hit the back of the net. And that's one thing Bournemouth are actually struggling with at the moment because our delivery from out wide is is really bad. So whether it's a set piece or or whether he's in that position, he will deliver fantastic crosses. Now, free kick wise, yeah, he took a number for AFC Bournemouth and 
also from the corner flag, he can whip in a decent corner as well. One of the things that I would for Portsmouth fans I would say to have a look at is on YouTube have a look at a video called All the Best Charlie Daniels it's a video that the uh, the club put out when he left and that shows the type of strikes and free kicks and set pieces he can perform and I think for Pompey yeah he's he's going to be such an asset and Pompey missed two key opportunities against Lincoln to shoot from the dead ball is Daniels the sort of player to have a go from a direct free kick yeah, it's funny you say that because I'm just thinking back now and not many direct free kick goals I remember from Charlie Daniels, actually. Most of his goals did come in open play. So whilst he was fantastic with the set pieces, they were mainly whipped into the box rather than shooting straight at goal. But I remember once we beat Middlesbrough 4-0, I think, and he took a free kick where he slightly messed it up. It was touched onto him, but he still netted it anyway by taking it around a couple of the opposition players before firing low into the net and he he's a type of player that has reached the age of his career where he just doesn't care if he misses I think sometimes these days players are a bit afraid to take a chance or take a pot shot because they know the crowd are going to get on their back now albeit now that's not going to happen so I think there's more chance of him doing that and um yeah just having a go and certainly there have been occasions this season where we could have done with a with a decent direct free kick and we haven't had it and I've been thinking you know Charlie Daniels would be the player that we would need in that situation alas he's not with us so um, I'm pretty sure he'll be successful for you. Moving into open play what would you say are Daniel's strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, I mean, just getting forward, getting forward. Charlie Daniels, I'll always picture him going up the left flank with Mark Pugh overlapping and him delivering amazing crosses into the box. To do that, though, to accomplish that, you need to trust your teammates. So I think it's going to take a while for him maybe to bed in, only a couple of months, just before he knows who can cover him, etc. Because obviously, when you get forward... That means that if your shot's countered or blocked or whatever, that means you're out of position and you're often seen as the full guy for not getting back. So it's going to take a lot of hard work from him, but I've got no doubts that he will be able to rise to the challenge. He's, he's a great interceptor of the ball. He reads the game really well. He's, he, he's almost like the defensive equivalent of Teddy Sheringham. Should I put it that way? I think maybe that's doing him a slight disservice because he's actually got a little bit of pace as well however he just reads it really well he sticks in the leg uh, he's got a good throw on him by the way so he can launch balls into the box um if necessary if you're if you're trailing one nil in the last minute but he's he's just such a team player he's a good talker on the pitch his teammates will benefit and uh i think he'll slot really nicely into the pompey side at the moment Pompey do need their fullbacks to to get forward though at some points. They can't just sit deep. Uh Daniels is fifth pairing dribbling success in the League One and eighth for 90 surpass- surprises me for age. Is this a surprise to you? Or does his skill set enable this? I tell you what, it, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me at all. He, he's an unconventional dribbler. If you look at his showreel videos on YouTube, it, it's the ball just sticks to his feet, but he's he's got a very funny style whereby he just almost effortlessly manages to glide up the pitch. It doesn't surprise me to see those stats. It it really doesn't. And he's confident on the ball. And it's nice to see players that, you know, that do that rather than treat the ball like a hot potato. Charlie Daniels will will try things out and will make those runs. So he'll lay the ball off and he'll run instantly up the pitch, giving his fellow player an option. Even if it's not taken, it will be a decoy that takes someone else out. He's such an enthusiastic player that's got a lot of drive. So despite his age, absolutely not a surprise at all. How about his defensive ability? His positioning looked decent for the short time he played last night. Yeah, defensively, I mean, for Bournemouth, he he seldom got found wanting. I think our attacking style meant that um, defenders probably looked worse than what they actually were because it wasn't just their fault. It was the fault of the whole team. But he he puts in blocks. He he's never af- afraid to put his uh, his body on the line. He he tracks his runners really well. He, I, you know, I would love him. I would love him back in our side now. I mean, that's a compliment I, I would pay ahead of Lloyd Kelly or Diego Rico. We're looking for players with heart and he certainly is one. And, uh, you know, he won't walk off the pitch giving any less than 100%. So, yeah, um, he's he's a very, very versatile, but uh, got so much ability as well on that left side. 
And do you finally have any interesting, funny stories about Daniels that Pompey fans don't know about? <laughs> I mean, not a, not a funny story as such, but as I do the Back of the Net podcast for AFC Bournemouth, I was invited by Carling to go down to the Vitality Stadium, or Dean Court as we like to call it, because he had won the goal of the month competition in the Premier League for that strike against Manchester City. Absolutely beautiful strike. And it was a nice sunny day. We were filming inside the stadium for half an hour and I was chatting to him, asking him uh, a number of questions that they said, you know, can you ask him something? And as it happened, it turned out to be his birthday. And he'd signed a contract extension with the club that day as well. So triple whammy. And I said to him, look, it's your birthday. You've signed a great deal. You've scored an amazing strike, which is, you know, the talk of the town. How are you feeling? And I was expecting him to be just almost overjoyed and smiling. And it was the most deadpan answer you'll ever have. And that's what you've got with Charlie. You've not got this person who on camera after a game will be a character and be really insightful because sometimes he's just not. He's not really one for doing the media stuff, but what he does do is show all his passion and aggression on the pitch. And to be fair, as supporters, whilst we always love a character, we love that more. So, yeah, truly dedicated player. Love the guy. Uh, don't know. Have we missed anything? Is there anything else you want to tell Pompey fans about Daniels or is that it? Um, not not really. I mean, once you're all back to the ground, all I would say is that please come up with a chant for him as soon as possible because Bournemouth fans are notorious for being pretty pretty awful with regards to player chants. And Charlie Daniels, it, it took him a long time to have one. So, yeah, take him under your wing, give him a chant, treat him well, and um, he, he will definitely repay you, I'm sure of that. And Sam, thanks for coming on the show. No problem at all. Absolute pleasure to be invited on. Thanks very much. Amazing. All right, cool. All right, thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks again, Ollie, for coming on the podcast. That was really fun, actually. We had a bit of banter before, uh, just chatting about about Charlie Daniels, and uh, he seems pretty excited for us. So, uh, yeah, don't worry about him. We'll look after him for you, as you said, and we'll try and make up a good song. Everyone listening, get out there at PO Forecast and let us know if you can make up a Charlie Daniels song. So let's get into the other view here. We spoke to Ollie, a friend of the show from the Salop Cast Shrewsby podcast. And he gave us his view on Charlie Daniels, Shrewsbury start to the season, Steve Cottrell, and hoping he recovers, etc., and how he's made his mark on the team. So here's Ollie from the Salop cast. Ollie, thanks a lot for joining us on the podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming on. So uh, Pompey pick up Charlie Daniels, who's on loan with you guys at the start of the season. Was it a loan or was it a was it a perm move? Is no, he was sure? a permanent signing. Permanent yeah. signing inverted commas for us for six months. So yeah, we picked him up after the season started and we got him on a short-term deal um, until the end of January. Yeah, it's one of those odd ones, isn't it? It's like when we signed Hawula in um, October until until January, basically. It's one of those odd sort of League One contracts, I think, that people are giving out at the moment. Yeah, so he was injured from your dear neighbours, Bournemouth, and he was struggling for a club. And yeah, I think we picked him up just on a, on a not too much money, from what I know. Um, and yeah, it's worked out well for him and I guess it worked out well for us, I guess, overall. I suppose we'll start with um, how he played for you guys at the beginning. So when we're looking at the stats that is sort of, you know, expected assists and stuff, um, he's way ahead of Lee Brown, who's the current Pompey left back who you might be familiar with, um, when it comes to creating chances, assists, etc. But most of those have come from set plays. Would you say that he could be dangerous in open play as well or is it is it more set plays? Um, yeah, Wolf's probably starting. He played a bit of a different role for us. So we played left wing back for us. Um, so we play three at the back and wing uh, wingers. And, and with Cotra now, we play with a number 10. Um, and yeah, he, was, he wasn't he was amazing um, under Sam Ricketts. No one was. Um, but he was key in our kind of, in our um, return to form um, when Cotra came in. So when we beat Doncaster, Ipswich and Hull, and he played a, beat, a key part in, in, all, in all those games. And yeah, he's left us with one goal and two assists, which which ain't too bad out of fourteen games. He was he's key to your revival, but but it but in what sense is that? Is it is it was he key to the scoring goals from set plays, or, or why was he key? Yeah, so um, I think it's fair to say almost he started quite sluggishly, and he ain't fast now. So he he did improve his fitness when he first started. Um, he was um, a bit um, of a weakness, if I'm honest. Um, he was quite slow. 
And we conceded quite a few goals down the left side, which is not necessarily just due to him, but in terms of being a bit slow to track and, and to tackle or jockeying and defend, he was quite slow and he was quite slow getting back into position. Um, but saying that, in open play, he was a threat from a cross and a ball. Um, and he's also really, really good. He stood out in terms of his technical ability to take the ball under pressure. So um, he was that was a really big positive. But yeah, you hit the nail on the head. His biggest threat came from set pieces. So um, Aaron Pierre is a really good central defender for us. He's a real big threat um, going forward. Um, but yeah, he, he, he set up a few goals from set pieces um, and he scored one nice goal as well. But yeah, set pieces, I think, would probably be one of the, the biggest strengths that I think you bring to your team. I'm not sure who's taking your set pieces at the moment, but he's that would be certainly be a, a big plus for you, I think. What was Daniels like um, off the ball? Because um, for a couple of seasons, there's been a lot of debate on what, what Portsmouth's left-back should do. Lee Brown is defensively solid, but sometimes his movement off the ball isn't very good in terms of channel runs and being in the right place defensively. So how does Daniel Daniels fit in with that? Um, I think I think obviously his knowledge of playing left back in the Premier League will I'm sure will be better positionally. Um, but I think his lack of mobility is going to underpin his overall performance. He's he's not going to be in a I don't know, I think back think of a few years ago when Luton had Stacey, you know, he's one of the best fullbacks in the in division. You're not going to get that. Um, you're going to get someone who's will will get up and down. To be fair to him, he's 34 and he's played wing back for us. He has been able to get up and down, so his stamina's quite good, but he's not going to be fast. Um, he's definitely be a, a more attacking threat, um, but yeah, I think you'll have to, you'll definitely have to protect him a little bit in terms of pace, in terms of supporting him. If you're playing against someone who's got a really fast winger, I think structurally you'll definitely need to support him. My understanding of you guys is with Kotcher, you don't really play, you know, really attacking fullbacks, um, so potentially he might fit in quite well, being a bit of a, a kind of, I don't know, a bit of a standard fullback. You know, he will push up, he will offer a threat, but he's not going to go way on beyond the, the winger because. Just hasn't really got the legs to get back. Yeah, entirely depends on how ports are set up nowadays. With if they go with the four four two or sometimes the four three four two three one, the front four do a lot, but the fullbacks aren't defensive in a sense that they can't go over the halfway line or anything. They can it, it, they need to be able to be in the final third sometimes to support the wingers and usually get covered by the centre midfielders and so on. So, uh, do you think Daniels's professionalism would help a lot in the dressing room? Obviously, Premier League player, been there and done it. Do you think it helps Shrewsbury yeah, in that regard? Um, yeah, we've got an interesting squad. We've got quite a, a mellow squad. And we've got a couple of um, interesting characters. But we've got quite a... I wouldn't say we've got too many loud and stuff in the squad. I think we've got quite a lot, of, quite a, a calm squad in that, in that um, retrospect. I imagine he probably came in and gave a bit of experience to the squad. Um, we've got, But then saying that, we've got quite a few experienced players. We've got Leon Clark. Dave Edwards, who played for Wolves in the Premier League, played 50 caps for Wales. So he had a lot of experience already. Um, but yeah, I guess he just he fit, fit in quite quickly. He did play as soon as he came in. Um, but yeah, I imagine he'd be quite an experienced head. And I think probably a good thing for him is he performed quite well for us. And obviously that was driving across half the country, coming to training and coming to games. Um, obviously, I don't have that coming to you guys. So that, that's, that's one little benefit, I guess. I didn't realise he was actually living so far away and then and then driving up to games is... I'm not sure what he was doing because we had um, we had Mark Pugh on, on, on the same deal on a short term contract um, and I can't imagine both of them um, um, basically travel so they seem to be eating together as called their Instagram and feed and hanging out together and stuff um, so I imagine they were driving up together um, but I think these things probably can impact on you know your performance if you're travelling around I imagine he still lives in the Bournemouth area so obviously it won't be too far for you guys I saw his goal against Hull actually, which I thought was pretty nicely taken. It was one of those things that he sort of played a little a little shivy one too, didn't he? Created a bit of space, went round on sort of on the overlap and then just lifted it over the keeper. Do you think that's a sort of display of the sort of technical ability that he sort of brings and, and the calmness to the, to the side? Yeah, he was a superb outlet um, for receiving the ball. So um, he was often more advanced than our other fullback. So we're a little bit asymmetrical in terms of the way that the wing backs played. The right wing back was a guy called Matt Miller, who's actually gone back to Australia to, to um, Newcastle Jets. And Daniel's played a bit further forward. So, yeah, he, he's playing on that kind of that half space, halfway through the halfway line, if that makes sense, between, you know, in terms of the 18-yard box and the halfway line. He was really, really, really good in that area. Really good at receiving the ball. 
Um, and yeah, that goal he scored against Hull was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, played a one-two um, with a doe and ran into the box and a really, really calm, cheeky chip. Um, so yeah, I think he'll, he'll bring. He won't bring a lot of energy to your team, but it'll certainly bring a lot of quality in terms of possession. Um, you know, you guys have ambitions to try and get promoted um, and try and get and stay up, and not you. You know, try and keep possession. And if you want to go into games and try and keep possession, he'll be a really, really good outlet on that left-hand side because, yeah, he's really good at controlling the ball. He's really good at using his body as well um, to keep the ball. Um, and he'll also, he, not that I'm saying he's a diver or anything, but he's also quite smart. You know, he'll win that little free kick that you might need if he's in that area to kind of like keep possession or to take the momentum out of the game. So I think it would be a good signing for you. Um, I just don't, don't expect too much running, um, but definitely expect quality on the ball. I think when we play, our fullbacks do get forward. I think the, the big problem with us last season is the fact that we had someone like, you know, James Bolton and Lee Brown and Lee Brown was playing a lot more of a defensive role. He's been told this season, you need to get forward if you want to keep that place. And when he was up against Campering, who Bristol uh, recalled in, in January, um, the only thing I could say is that, you, you know, we're saying about his pace and getting caught. But I do think, as Freddie pointed out earlier on, because you've got the holding midfielder or someone like Tom Naylor is probably going to duck in a little bit if he gets forward and try and try and cover his run. So if we can sort of paper mache over those sort of um, his weaknesses, I think it could be quite a good signing. Did you guys want to keep hold of him? Um, yes, potentially. Yeah, it would have been okay to keep him. Um, it, w- it wasn't really... I don't know. I guess we didn't expect to keep him. That was the kind of the expectation. Um, to be honest, I'm surprised he hasn't maybe gone to the championship, but I guess his last, lack of physical output means that he's not good enough for that. In terms of his, his quality on the ball, he's definitely still championship level, but yeah, physically he's not. So no, I guess the challenge with that is we've got a new manager now, a new head of recruitment. Um, so I'm kind of expecting still a lot of change to come. So we don't know whether he was not a, a cultural sign-in. So it might be that he just wanted someone else. Now we signed a, a lad from Man City um, who's played left back for them in their under-23 under side. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's why we... I don't know. I don't know. How, I think we offered him a contract, but I'm not 100% sure. Is there anything you think we've missed on Daniels? I mean, obviously, you know, with you guys since the start of the year, but is there anything we haven't picked up on you want to tell um, the listeners? Um, the only thing a little bit was um, he didn't really leave in the best circumstances. Um, so he'd come to training. So we came back on the Friday after we'd had the COVID closed down. He stayed all weekend and did all the set pieces and prep for the Southampton game. And then just before the game, decided, told the boss that he didn't want to play. So you <coughs> just can understand why just he's done a player who just wanted the pension of his last wages. I could see Yeah, him. and you can't... Yeah. yeah. You can't, I'm not going to criticise him for it as such. Um, it's not. It's not. You know. You know. We had it, didn't we, in the summer with um, a couple of quite a few Premier League players. I remember um, Fraser from Bournemouth saying that he wasn't going to play. It wasn't as extreme as that. It wasn't for such a long period of time. But he could have told us a couple of days before, and we wouldn't have prepped for him playing. We had to play someone who wasn't fit yet. But um, but no, he'll go down in, in terms of you know very very short Shrewsbury Town career. Um, but I'm sure he remembered for his set pieces and in the goal against Hull. Oh, Freddie, do you have anything else to ask? Or would you wrap it up? Oh, No, I think that's everything. I think generally, for Portsmouth, it's a good signing until the end of the season. Well, how long have you signed him for out of interest? Uh, until the end of the season. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I mean, the thing is, I think with us as well, and I'm guessing everyone's in the same boat, but especially with Pompey, who've got players like Tom Naylor, Jack Watmore, quite a few players we've got who are out of contract. Our main players are captains, our best centre-back, etc. And Craig McGilvery's out of contracts as well, I yes. think. Our number one goalkeeper, obviously you know Craig already, been um, coming yeah. from Shrewsbury. But but I think we're not looking to necessarily tie up players now into contract spots until we know what division we're going to be in. And if we don't get promoted this year, we're going to lose the spine of our team. You know, your number one goalkeeper, your best centre-back, you know, your captain, a centre midfielder. So the salary cap is going to cripple us in that sense because we can't really offer these players the money that they're even on now, um, even though the club's turning a profit. And, well, not now because of COVID, but was turning a profit year to year um, in the millions and unfortunately he's been restricted by the salary cap. Which And the squad slots uh, are going down. But they're going down yeah. to 20 next season. Uh, obviously, we don't know how long these restrictions will be on. They might just be for this season and next while clubs recover from the pandemic, etc. But they might be in for the foreseeable, which yeah. will benefit certain teams more than others. 
it will benefit certain teams than others. I remember having quite a few interesting discussions, um, not particularly with Pompey fans, but particularly Ipswich fans who are very upset about the salary cap. And um, yeah, for me, I think looking back now, I think it seems quite a sensible idea because there's no good having 20,000 season ticket holders or 20,000 fans if they're not allowed in the crowd. So I can see, I think the the EFL and League One teams probably made a sensible decision. But I can also understand the frustration if I was a, a Pompey or an Ipswich or a Sunderland fan having a salary cap. But as a Shrewsbury Town fan, I think it's quite hilarious. I think the only thing that's frustrating with it was just the fact that it didn't apply to championship teams getting relegated. So they've effectively got championship wages because though if they're contracted in the championship and they get relegated, their wage is averaged out and carried over. So you still yeah. got Hull City with a lot of their excellent players, some of them on championship money, when a team like Portsmouth could potentially, potentially in the right circumstances, pay the old player like that. Yeah, I think for me it was a sticky plaster just to stop clubs going crazy. Mm. You know, um, you know, if you think of think of you, obviously you know the, the finances in the championship is absolutely mental. Like I think they should be paying six k a week, but they pay thirteen k a week. Um, and yeah, just to try and keep survive, keep clubs going, I guess. But I guess the, the challenges, and I guess almost the opportunity for you guys, yeah, where are you going to be in the summer? But also, where are we, when fans are going to get me back in and how to budget? But yeah, I, I can totally get them the merits of it. It's not really a great system, and it's not really a great system because it's not linked to, it needs to be linked all the way up to the top. If you're going to have a salary cap, it needs to work properly. Um, it needs to go from um, Championship, Premier League. League Two needs to fit because yeah, if we, we obviously we were thinking about the salary crap a few months ago, and we still could if we get relegated, we'd be in the same position. Yeah. We we would have you know six million, seven million pound turnover with a salary cap of a million, um, and it, that doesn't really work for us either. <laughs> but yeah, it's I guess it's it's COVID world. Um, it's not it's hard for clubs to forecast what income they're going to get. And, and last question, I suppose, because we just saw it come out and it's not it's not confirmed yet but will Greg to Shrewsbury it's being talked about I think it's going to be confirmed um obviously I'm not I'm not breaking this news so can't say yet until it's official but I always thought watching Cottrell for Pompey that you like to play one striker up front and, and sort of play through a someone who can hold the ball up a little bit up front and play off him and will Greg doesn't offer that ability watching him play for for Wigan and for, and for Sunderland in fact I think he's a player who needs a support players play out front with him so it's a bit of an odd signing for me and he, obviously it's one that could break out he could, could uh, score hatfuls of goals he's got the ability but he hasn't done it for a few years how do you think he's going to fit into the Shrewsbury side if he does sign yeah we, so at the moment we play um, three four one two with a number 10 and two strikers so he would fit in in that way in terms of we do play two and out strikers um, yeah, we've got well, we've got Jason Cummings, who's almost a bit like you know, it's, it's a bit like feels a bit like Jason Cummings. Mark two, you know, scored a load of goals for Hibs, went to Forest in a big move, went to Luton, uh, went to Rangers, went somewhere else, didn't really kind of hit it off. And for me, it does feel a little bit like Jason Cummings, Mark two. You know, sort of needs to kind of restart their career, um, but we certainly need some quality up front. And if Steve Cottrell can turn him around, um, like he turns, we had one of the best defenses last year. And in the space of two weeks or even a week, he turned them around. It's unbelievable. It is literally ridiculous that we went from, you know, being looking absolutely atrocious. And if there's a manager, hopefully he's back soon, can turn a player around. It will be Steve Cottrell because, yeah, he's definitely a championship level manager. Uh, his t- attention to detail is superb and maybe he can turn him around. But, yeah, we've got Leon Clark, who's 35 and doesn't look very good. A non-league striker and a doe and a right winger and Jason Cummings. So, yeah, we certainly need some quality, but yeah, God knows how we'll be formed. It could be another wasted loan or it could be something quite special, but yeah, it's not, I don't know, I can't get too excited because yeah, I think your position is probably where I'd stand as well. It's, it's probably going to end with no goals, a bit like when he, on that Sunderland documentary, when he didn't score and they spent all that money for him. We all know they're talking to Sunderland uh, fans we know and Sunderland people that, let's be honest, they're just putting a, a dump load of pressure on the poor lad. And, uh, you know, he plays up front when he's not expected to do what Charlie Wyke has to do up, up front for Sunderland, which is chase the ball around and get no luck as well until Lee Johnson comes in. Um, so maybe when he comes to you guys with a second striker and a 10 behind him, I think actually he's, his best attribute is usually being a poacher. He, he, being yeah, a and finisher. that's what we need. 
Yeah, we've yeah. got a we've got a guy called Chapman on loan from um, Blackburn Rovers, who's quite pacey. Um, we still need a right wing back, so we're quite limited in that sense. But yeah, we certainly would get um, get balls in the box and, and get players in the box, and that's what we kind of need. And so we're really interested to see how what Cottrell does with them. Um, but I imagine it will be a loan until the end of the season. Um, and like you, we'll probably see a, a huge overhaul in the summer. And hopefully Sunderland are paying 95% of those wages, right? Yeah, you'd imagine. God knows how much he's on. Um, we've done that already. We've taken Pennington on um, on loan from Everton. And apparently he's on 15k a week or 20k a week. There's no way we were paying that. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's an interesting time for transfers because you've got a lot of teams trying to offload players. Um, and obviously not a lot of teams have an income. So it's going to be, I'd be fascinated to see what happens in the, in the summer with wage as well. Maybe there'll be wage deflation. There'll be a few opportunities out there. But who knows? Who knows where we're going to be in the summer? No, massively. Ollie, mate, cheers for coming on the podcast. It's much no appreciated. Cheers, guys. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season. I hope you guys stay up this season and push into mid-table with Stevie Cottrell. Hope he recovers. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll speak again next season or, or later on. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Ollie. Cheers, Thanks, Ollie. mate. Thanks again, Ollie, for coming to the show. Yeah, it's interesting how Shrewsbury have turned it around, Freddie, isn't it? Considering how shocking they were at the start of the season. And I don't think it's any surprise to me that Ricketts has lost his job. He was rubbish at the end of last season as well. I thought he was going to go. You know, I think Shrewsbury fans wanted him to go as well. But what I was surprised about is Steve Cottrell came in and actually turned his team around. Exactly, yeah. Gave, gave a bit of life to that side that seemed completely lifeless for the last two seasons. If you thought Kane Jacket was a defensive manager, just see how Ricketts set up his teams. I think it's easy to see when you look at when you look at Shrewsbury's team and you think, oh, the best players, Ivan Ibanks, Lendl, and Darren Pierre, both centre halves, and that's all they had for a long time. But but Cottrell with, with that good formation where they're now playing a front three, but with one attacking midfielder and two forwards, he's getting the most out of that side. And uh, obviously, I, I wish him all the best of his recovery from COVID. After the two disappointing games, Freddie, you know, it's a really difficult team to play against. This should be a nice, easy one. Cholton, a team that Pompey always dominate. We're going away to the Valley. It's a difficult place to go. Lee Boyo sets his teams up pretty rigidly and Pompey tend to find it difficult to get possession of the ball against against Cholton sides like that. Cholton have been a bit in and out of form, to be honest. I expected them to be better than what they are at the moment in time. I expect them to be a lot better. I yeah. expect them to be in top two spots. Yeah. We're, thinking, we're thinking two seasons ago when they are in League One, they, they looked like the best side that was in the playoffs and they controlled games. When they played Portsmouth, I think in every, pretty much every game they played against Portsmouth, they just controlled the game completely. I think this season we lost them 2-0 and they just took their chances and left it, then restricted Portsmouth so much and gave them absolutely nothing. Yeah, and they, and they do do that as well, which is which is really frustrating, if I'm honest. Um, mm. Probably people know that Cholton have the following players in particular, Omar Bogle, who looks like he's on his way out of Cholton now. So they brought in uh, Jaden Stockley. Pompey fans might remember him before who played for Exeter moved to Preston North End, didn't quite work out in the Championship, but it's quite a difficult jump, I think, from League Two to go straight into the Championship. As a striker for Preston, physical player, quite a handful, and he has got some technique as well, but scores with his head quite a lot. Raggett will have to get on top of him as well, or what more, somebody just has to keep an eye on him. He is a physical presence, and Pompey will need to try and deal with that. They've also got... um, Connor Washington up front, who I think is pretty good. And Freddie, Rasmus Nicolaisen's got his pal come over. He is going to be <laughs> facing off against someone he knows very well. Do you want to give us the lowdown on him? Yeah, Ronnie Schwartz. Uh, I watched him during the first lockdown play for FC, Mag- FC Mitchelland. That was a while ago. That seems like ages ago now, even though it wasn't that long. Just, again, very, very good striker. Um, had a little bit of everything. Very physical very physical, moved around a lot and knew where the goal was. Uh, obviously, it's a, it might be a bit of a weird transition for going from the Danish top flight where it can be a bit more technical to League One where it's more physical. But yeah, another dangerous weapon that Charlton have. But Charlton haven't been the side that I, I expect them to be this season. I watched them on TV against uh, Accrington Stanley and they were absolutely hopeless. They lost 2-0 
and Marcus Madison was subbed on and then subbed off again in the last minute. So you, you, you can tell how much Lee Bowie rated him. Defensively, they were poor. Jason Pierce, <clears throat> maybe his age is showing, but he get, he gave up the first goal really badly. And the, yeah, they, they they just didn't look as solid or as stable as I thought they would be. So they're not they're beatable. Um, I think Portsmouth are looking. A lot of fans are looking at previous results involving Portsmouth rather than what the team actually is at the moment. And I think Portsmouth have played probably the two hardest games that I play this season with Hull and Lincoln. I don't think Charlton are in their league, really, in terms of how they play. They don't control the ball as well. They remind me a bit of Joe Barton's fleet with they're very aggressive uh, whenever they try and get the ball. They surround the referee, all sorts. But they're not the most creative team in the world. So if it, it is a game that Portsmouth can protect, uh, can potentially stamp their mark on it. But if they allow Charlton to play, it's not going to happen. No, and Charlton do have creative players as well in the midfield. They've got the likes of Marcus Madison, who Pompey fans know because we wanted to sign him at one point. Yeah, well, he, he might not start considering the quote that Lee Bowie said about him. About yep. not, um, basically, after that game, <clears throat> he was accused of not going fully into his tackles. And Lee Bowie basically said, if, if a player dives out of tackles under my management, he's never playing for me ever again. So he, it was obvious who it was for. So he might not start. Woo-hoo. But they've got, they've got a lot of options. A lot of uh, players are recognised, but they're just not set up as a team in the in the way that they were two seasons ago when they played that diamond in midfield, and that midfield dictated tempo games. It's very it's very much more of a smash and grab team nowadays. Yeah, and um, Cholton also at the moment are finding it very difficult. I've seen to um, defend counter attacks, um, and also getting a little bit sloppy at the back on their sort of one on one sort of um, their marking as well, and causing some individual errors to turn balls over. So theoretically, Freddie, this should be a team that Pompey could punish and take some chances against. And also playing away at the Valley seems to have some sort of problem at the moment playing at home. Let's hope we go back away, get away from Fratton Park, pick up a win. And then we can get back on track. Maybe some of the top two even drop some points. That's what we need to do in this game. If it's a game in which that doesn't happen, then it's just going to be more talk of us dropping down because people will pick up points behind us. And then it could be a battle to carry on what we're doing. <laughs> Finish sixth, right? No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> Freddie, let's get back into the score prediction times because it's that time of the podcast. Ooh. What's your score against Charlton? I'm going to be positive. Charlton are not the side that they were. A lot of their defenders are ageing. You've got Gunter and Pierce, who on paper, you'd expect them to be more defensively stable, but they're, but they're ageing quite badly. I think it's going to be a 2-1 ports of win. I'm going to go out there. I think, I genuinely think that, uh, it, I think Jacket will go for the same starting eleven, which is fine. It just, it depends on how they approach the game. If they if they're aggressive and stay on chart on the whole game, they can win. They can win this game two one. Even even if they let a goal in with their, in my opinion, not the best defensive stability in the, in the league, like some people are saying. But if they if they go if they go to the valley in a typical Kenny Jacket away away day performance where they sit sit their two banks of four and hope to counter attack, they might lose because you've listed all the strikers that they have. You listed all the attacking potential that they have. All of that can just come off. You, you you don't know. They're a good side, but they're but they're not they're not unbeatable. They they don't deserve the respect where Portsmouth can just let them play. They're a playoff team at the moment, aren't they? They're a borderline playoff team. I think offensively, yeah. Like at the moment, but I think they should be no. doing better. Bo, you're out. That's what I say. If I'm a Charlton <laughs> fan. <laughs> okay, I'm going to look at the game as well. I think it'll be a two-one win as well. I mean, I don't know if he swaps it around a little bit uh, and decides to. I mean. Obviously, it depends if Jack Watmore plays. I don't know how long it takes in the decision to get that overturned, if the red card is overturned or not. If it's not, Nicolaisen will come straight in, I'm guessing, at the back and play there. Well, I've got no massive arguments about staying with the same staying with the same team, except I do really want to put someone else up front with John Marquis rather than Ryan Williams. I mean, I would rather put Harness up top. I Williams think swapping them around the might right. be a good idea because yeah. Williams has got Williams has got a bit stale after the last two games. Um it might be just with the opposition, since they're, since they're top class opposition, he's not giving the same amount of time to get those dribbles and passes in. But also, Harness has been a bit anonymous as well for the last two games. So why not swap yeah. it around? Why not? Why not give the more technical player uh, more license to go forward up front and 
put the gritty player back in midfield to fight for all the loose balls. Yeah, exactly. And I think we played about four. I think we played. I don't look earlier about five games with Harness up top. Um, I would say, and we scored about thirteen goals of them. Harness got. I love that pairing. I really did like that pairing. So I, I. I, I like the I like the Williams and Marquis pairing as well, but just not as much as Harness. I do. I did understand why they put Harness back in the midfield to try and add a bit more to the creativity because Harness is a very good technical player and and the amount of chances he creates is really good and his dribblings up there as well. But I think now that the team is struggling a bit, I think you want the player who gives it a tiny bit more off the ball in the midfield to allow the more technical players more time and space. And sorry to whoever this was, but someone put on the on Twitter, I can't remember who it was now, that I wonder what Pompey fans would have thought of Loire Loire if he played him at white right wing the whole time. And I do think a little bit with with Marcus Harness, he looks so much better in the middle, whether it's at Cam, whether it's at striker, whatever you want, forward. Mm. In the middle, he causes damage, he creates space. People actually worry a lot about his his pace and his ability really to shift the ball quickly between his feet and create space. So and he has to worry he has to worry less about the more defensive uh, aspects of the game and winning the ball, which is not the best at. But Ryan Williams can still press on the right wing. He can press there, he can play up, and he also gets back and play. For me, it's a logical swap, Kenny. Get it done. Get something new. Hopefully help John as well. Help spark him. Let's get going, Pompey fans. Um, Freddie, got anything else to say, or should we round it off there? I think the only only thing is, there was one stat in my article, which again, you can read on pompeynewsnow.com. Pause was expected goals against... Not very good. <laughs> I showed Hugh this, and Hugh was surprised, weren't you, mm. when I sent you this text earlier today. Pulsar expected goals against 28.04 off the top of my head compared to 20 goals. That margin is bad. It's one of the bigger margins between what, what the goals that Ports have actually conceded and what then the chances. Obviously, it's not everything, but it's a guideline in terms of how good Ports are defensively, and they're not. I think we've mentioned that multiple times on the pod. You can't rely on Craver Gilvery making two or three fantastic saves a game to be able to stand up. And I think generally, instead of trying to plug that hole by putting in an extra midfielder and trying to make it more difficult for teams to score, I would rather just sort of just go guns blazing instead with their four four two, keep it aggressive control the tempo of the game it doesn't have to be the prettiest football I'm not expecting tiki taka from this Portsmouth side but in terms of their attacking approach they can play a bit a bit more direct but they have to control the tempo of the game and that's the main difference for me and you can just tell by the way that they've played since the formation change from the 17th of October yeah right we need some more of that but Pompey fans thanks for listening until next time play out Pompey You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.